0: Good morning, and welcome to Hudson. Uh, I'm John Walters, the Chief Operating Officer of the Hudson Institute. I'd like to welcome you to the Betsy Wally Stern Conference Center and this session with Congressman Gene Green. Um, We are honored to host Congressman Green. Uh, It's my uh, pleasure to do a brief introduction. I won't take much of his time, uh, but uh, uh, we have not known each other before, but in looking over his uh, resume, he is the I think the example of a public servant who spent most of his life uh, serving uh, uh, the people of Texas and the people of the United States, and so uh, uh, it's a lot of cynicism sometimes associated with Washington, but uh, he's an example of why the country's strong, people who give their life and their gifts to serve, and I'm glad he's going to be with us today. Thank you. Congressman Green was first elected to Congress from the 29th Congressional District of Texas in 1992 after 20 years in the Texas House of Representatives and the Texas Senate. In 1996, he was appointed to the powerful uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee, uh, and he is co sponsor of H.R. 3301, the North American Energy Infrastructure Act. Bless you, uh, that is the topic, of course, of today's discussion. Uh, he introduced this bill last fall and was reported out of committee on May 8th. <clears throat> Congressman Green is a native of Houston. He holds a degree in business administration from the University of Houston. He attended Bates College of Law. Uh, at the University of Houston and was admitted as a member of the Texas State Bar in 1997. After Congressman Green makes some brief remarks, he will uh, join uh, our Hudson senior scholar, Chris Sands, for a dialogue on the bill and include some questions from you in the audience. Um, uh, Chris Sands, as I should just mention briefly, directs the Hudson Initiative on North American Competitiveness and is the author of Alternative Energy Futures for North America, a publication that is available on the Hudson website going to take any more of the time for these important issues from uh, Congressman Green, but I want to thank him again for being here, and thank Chris for uh, uh, arranging this session. Congressman. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. thank you. Good morning.
1: My name is Gene Green. I represent a very urban district in Houston, and I'm a typical Texan. I'm a native Texan. Uh, I like country music. In fact, if I hadn't turned off my phone, uh, it would play when I get a phone call from George Strait, I'll be somewhere down in Texas. And, and I'm a Democrat who does energy, oil and gas, and I'll explain why I do that. I have a district in East Harris County, probably the largest petrochemical complex in the country. Uh, we have five refineries and at least 20 chemical plants that I've represented over the years. Um, that's not mine. <laughs> so it doesn't play George Strait. Um, <laughs> And being a native Houstonian and serving a lot of years in the State House and Senate, although um, when I ran for Congress in 1992, my opponent said I was a career politician, and I explained to him, in Texas, our legislators get $600 a month. I can't make it a career. And uh, (laughs) so uh, I ran a business and practiced law. But uh, our country has experienced the most amazing energy boom that least I can remember. Uh, I don't know, maybe in 1901 when we had Spindletop in southeast Texas, maybe there was something else. But uh, because of the technology, with hydrofracking and horizontal drilling, it's made the United States one of the top oil and gas producers in the world. In fact, Texas is the number one uh, for both oil and gas, and we're continuing to produce more and more every day. Uh, U.S. production needs to be encouraged. Uh, All my adult life, since 1973, literally, with the first Arab embargo, uh, we've always wanted to be energy-independent in our country. Now, that's, uh, uh, we actually can see that right now. Um, it's important to note that uh, if we're going to do that, there's been a lot of talk about the North American energy market with Canada and Mexico, and that's part of our effort to be able to end this legislation, is, is, uh, is an effort to do that. Uh, we have free trade agreements for the last 20-plus years with Canada and Mexico, and now, it doesn't always cover energy, but both of us, both, all three countries know that we're interdependent. Um, and we've learned from the Keystone Pipeline situation that, uh, that we, need to be, uh, we need to be more um, uh, aware of what we're doing. Over the years, we've sent oil to Canada many times, and we still do, uh, but we also import oil from Canada. With Mexico, we bring oil from Mexico. We export natural gas to Mexico from Texas. uh, But typically what we do is, because Mexico only can produce about 60% of their refined product, they send us their oil, and the refineries that I represent send them back refined product. Uh, There's been a partnership between Shell and Pemex for many years. Um, We can use these abundant natural resources now because of technology and make our uh, three countries, North American, energy independent. And unfortunately, we learned the hard way with Keystone application. Now, historically, there have been pipelines going back and forth between Canada and the United States. It's had to have a presidential permit. But with Keystone, um, it turned into more of a political situation. So here we are, four or five years later, waiting for a permit that should have taken less than two years. And so that's what this legislation is about, 1301. Ten projects exist already uh, that need presidential approval on pipelines. Um, I have one that's a Houston company that actually is just trying to change the name of a pipeline coming across Canada from Canada to the United States. And it's taken literally years to be able to do that. One, because the State Department has decided that uh, because they're going to have a hook uh, in the United States from North Dakota, they need to consider that as part of the environmental impact. You know, the State Department doesn't have any business doing anything except international affairs. And what we do in our country, we have other federal agencies and states that regulate that. So it's frustrating. 3301 addresses it. Uh, 3301, like most legislation, has been changed through the process. And I'm hoping next month when Congress gets back after next week, the House does, we'll have it on the floor. The, uh, what it's trying to do is set up um, a system where we will be able to move both electricity, natural gas, and oil between the three countries. And right now, like I said, we just, uh, back last Thanksgiving, there was approved a uh, a natural gas pipeline from south Texas into Mexico. Uh, Twenty years from now, when Eagle Ford, and we know uh, fields play out, we may not be as successful as we are now with Eagle Ford natural gas. But that Eagle Ford strata goes into northern Mexico, and because of security issues and things like that, they may be developing it. So we may uh, need that natural gas from northern Mexico to fuel uh, our chemical industry on the Gulf Coast in Texas. So we need to set the paradigm now so we can do it. What 3301 does is it creates a Certificate of Crossing for cross-border of pipeline project that must be issued 120 days after the NEPA review is completed. So you have a deadline on it. It eliminates the presidential permit, particularly because it's a free trade. We already have a free trade agreement. It requires a NEPA review to protect the environment, and protects the State Department's public interest determination. But again, we give them some parameters. And it has been frustrating because uh, that pipeline, we actually have uh, uh, a lot of Cushing, Oklahoma. Those of you who don't um, know about energy, Cushing is kind of like the uh, inside the beltway for oil from all over the United States. It's a gathering place. And uh, we already have, because of uh, they've been two, one pipeline, two, maybe three on the board now, we have one that's already draining Cushing of their oil because their pipeline capacity uh, wasn't there, but now we have it. Uh, but we still need to have that pipeline from Canada down to Cushing, and that cross-border permit uh, needs to be done. So, uh, But in my frustration is right now, I can put a 1,000-car train on a track in Edmonton and send it across the border without any permit. But if I want to build a pipeline... I have to have a presidential permit. Uh, It used to be it was a State Department permit because President Obama in 2011 said it was his decision, uh, so it becomes a presidential permit. Um, But that's the frustration. If you can move that substance, why punish a more efficient uh, method? It it doubles the cost of that oil to put it on a tank car than it does putting it through a pipeline. And as we know recently, the safety, not that pipelines are, uh, pipelines are the safest way to move any kind of product um uh, um uh, and it can still be the same way but um but with that that's what this bill's supposed to do and I'll be glad to try and answer any questions and and again thank you for inviting me
2: sure absolutely please well thank you congressman and um what I hope to do is just sort of start a little bit uh, just of a conversation between you and I and, and get some questions going, and then we'll turn to the audience and get some of your questions. maybe I'll, I'll catch some of the ones you're thinking of right now, but uh, I have the, the good fortune of having looked at the bill a little bit. Um, you, you mentioned Keystone both at the beginning and the end of your remarks. Is this I- in a lot of ways a, a, a keystone response? we've seen other responses from Congress on the delays over Keystone either consciously or unconsciously in terms of building support for
1: it. Well, I think we would need this legislation even without Keystone, mm. because, like I said, there are ten other permits if we were going through the same process we had. This is the first time in the last few years we've had this much difficulty getting cross-border permits. And Like I said, there was one approved from natural gas from Texas to Mexico, um, and uh, it was right before Thanksgiving. And it took a little longer, but it wasn't a problem. Keystone, I guess, because it's becoming a political issue. And, and I watched it. I'm a Democrat and I understand the pressures on, on the president and all of us, um, starting in 2011, the president was going to run for re-election. The environmental community made it their end all the be all and they were picketing the white house in the fall of 2011, literally 24 seven. So the president took it on himself. Um, I've talked to different secretary of state first, uh, secretary of State Clinton, and now uh, Secretary Kerry, but, um, but it's a presidential <laughs> decision. And so this would set up a framework, though. Again, we have free trade agreements with these countries. Why shouldn't we have the free flow of goods and not make the, how you move those goods the issue?
2: That's, I think, something this bill attracts uh, some attention to that we haven't seen really the infrastructure. We've got this tremendous energy abundance oh, okay. now from the shale oil and shale gas revolution, which is really changing things. We still have to get it to
1: consumers. How? Can you talk a little bit about the role infrastructure plays in really making the market work? Well, even in South Texas, between South Texas and Houston, we have infrastructure problems with not enough gathering stations, not enough compression stations, not enough pipelines. And if you tell me in Texas we don't have enough pipelines, I'd laugh because I've never not lived on a pipeline easement in Houston, Texas. And, uh, but even in Texas, we don't have the infrastructure we need. And if you look at the rest of the country, look at maps of the country, we can see whether it be from where the resources are in Canada uh, or other parts of the country, North Dakota, there's not a pipeline out of North Dakota. So we need to make sure that we also have the, the pipelines out of our, in our own country to be able to get that uh, product to the market, whether it be natural gas to heat or cool our homes. We don't heat ours in Texas very often, but uh, we do use it for a lot for cooling, but, but also to the market where we have a chemical industry and natural gas is a feedstock for the chemical industry.
2: Well, I think a lot of Americans think of the U.S. still as an energy importer, but with this growth in production, we'll start looking at least at at some exports. We can export already to Canada and Mexico, as you mentioned in your your remarks. How important do you think exports will be in changing the way the energy industry operates and and the importance of the energy industry to our economy?
1: Well, I think we'll see exporting of natural gas sooner. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Department of Energy has approved uh, seven permits, and I think they have 15 left, although there's permits uh, uh, coming on board every day, but to export LNG. Most of them will be in the Louisiana, Texas area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been one in the, on the East Coast at Chesapeake Bay and one in Oregon, uh, but we have the product in our area, and so I think you'll see most of those. The first one will be Cheniere. It's a Houston company that actually has their facility on the Louisiana side of the Sabine River, but if you go down the coast uh, right across from them, Exxon and Cutter has a facility on the Sabine, the Texas side of Sabine, that's on the list. Uh, Brazosport or, or uh, Freeport have already been issued a permit. Um, Corpus Christi, Matagorda, uh, Port of Brownsville. I'm going to be at the Port of Brownsville next week to do an, a symposium on LNG export. So we're going to see a lot of that. We're producing more natural gas in our country than we can use. Uh, there's also discussion about exporting crude oil. Since 1973, we've had a prohibition of exporting crude oil from the United States. Now, there are exceptions, and the President's allowed it, um, mainly to Canada, yeah. and, um, and, but there's a um, way you can do that right now. We're still importing about 30 or 40% of our crude oil we need, but our problem is our mix. What's coming out of Texas now, particularly in Midland-Odessa area, and Permian Basin, is lighter sweet crude. Most of the refineries in our area in the 90s, retooled to handle heavier importing crude, and in our area, it's Venezuelan crude. Sure. So the plants were, you know, two billion dollars was at that time the cost of engineering, and uh, making a refinery handle heavier crude. Now we have uh, this lighter sweet, and the refineries are still um, geared up to do heavier crude. So we may end up exporting, um, you know, lighter sweet crude, which brings a higher dollar on the market, uh, but. Right now we have a way to do it under the presidential permit and the president's talked about it. And so I think we ought to see it first. I, I have a, the five refineries. I have an Exxon and Shell who don't mind exporting crude oil because they're also producers. But I also have three other ones, uh, Lyondell, which is a sole uh, refining company. It's really a chemical company, Bissell, Lyondale, Um and they buy theirs on the open market. Valero, the biggest uh, um, refiner in the country. Uh, they they don't produce it they just buy it so they're concerned about raising the price of their feedstock uh, for their refiners the other one is the first time uh, Petrobras Brazil uh, oil company bought a refinery in our country and they have one in our district that they retooled and brought it up to standards and and it's a really uh, modern refinery but again it's handled uh, the heavier crude
2: I want to ask about electricity because you know I thought it was very interesting that you included power lines uh, and, and really electrical infrastructure as well in the bill. Canada has a lot of hydropower but w- which we could import. Mexico has a huge demand which could perhaps use a surplus electricity but it seems to me that the other piece of this going back to 2007 when we had the big Northeast Midwest blackout is, uh, is reliability and the, and the interconnections in the grid. Why did you include electricity in the bill and,
1: and, and do you think that is in some ways as important as the other pieces? Oh, I think in the Northeast particularly it's important as as the other pieces. It's just not an oil and natural gas bill because in the Northeast, there is a lot of cross border connections for electric power. And I think we'll see that even grow more with the demand on both sides of the border. So we want to make sure that we have a structure that's with a uh, with a neighbor, like we have with Canada, a good friend, free trade agreement, um, that we can move electricity back and forth across the border. If they have a problem in Canada, we can, send it to them and same with us so and that will someday happen in Mexico and along the border between particularly in Southern California and the urban areas along the border but right now there are some uh, discussions about d- doing electricity on the border with Mexico it's mostly product it's mostly uh, crude oil or not crude oil but natural gas now
2: the Keystone debate sort of framed environmentalists as anti-infrastructure in some ways because of this big project but with electricity infrastructure that allows you to perhaps bring electricity in to smooth out what wind and solar might not be doing in a particular time of the day or the year, with new modern pipelines that have less leakage, you know we have a lot of aging infrastructure as well. Do you see this bill as, as contributing in a positive way on the environment as well, um, and maybe possibly winning some support from committed environmentalists?
1: Well, I'm not so sure. It's... Um, it's an issue that uh, I think the environmental community made a decision, you know, a few years ago, uh, based on Keystone and not necessarily considering right. electricity or even natural gas. Cause the more we switch to natural gas, the cleaner, the less uh, carbon we're emitting into the atmosphere. And that's happening no matter what we do just because of the cheap price of the natural gas. And you know, again, we're going to send it to Mexico. Mexico has some of the same problems of uh, they need, electricity generation. And, um, and if, you know, we'll sell them the natural gas so they can do it. Uh, but I think the environmental community made this a big political issue. And now, how do you step back from it? It is tough. I mean,
2: particularly, since you mentioned natural gas, the role that natural gas could play in addressing climate change for the US, it's already substitute for a lot of our coal uh, fired electrical plants. Do you see this sort of leveraging in a positive way for the President's climate change agenda if if we were able to get adequate infrastructure for natural gas?
1: Well, I think Congress ought to address climate change. Obviously, the cap and trade paradigm is not going to work politically, or I think uh, nationally. So, uh, but I think Congress needs to do things that would lower our carbon footprint. We're already doing it. In fact, the United States is emitting less carbon now with a larger population. And a lot of it's based on our more efficient cars, but also that we're we're having fuel switching. We're going to natural gas instead of coal. Now I don't, well, we do have coal in Texas. It's lignite and my Pennsylvania friends say we burn dirt and call it coal. But, uh, but natural gas is a cleaner burning. And and again, the price differential is amazing. And when you have, it's not just limited to Texas and Louisiana or the typical energy producing states, you see what's happening in uh, Eastern Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, potentially in New York if they ever issue a permit and, uh, you know, to be able to shift that to where you'll see even, uh, even in the more urban areas of the Northeast.
2: You know, we're, we're so geographically central in North America. This is like no other region in the world. The infrastructure that bu- is built or not built in the U.S. really will determine the fate of Canada and Mexico's, you know, potential for reaching markets in, in a powerful way. As allies and friends of ours, what do we owe the Canadians and Mexicans in terms of transparency, predictability of process, or is this really not about the foreign interest we have to put Americans first and, and do this for our ourselves?
1: Well, you know, when our businesses go around in the world we look for certainty, mm-hmm. rule of law and certainty and you know, if I was someone looking to invest in the United States and see what's happening with the Keystone Pipeline, I'd say, We don't have any certainty of investment in our own country and uh, and that's frustrating because we need that crude oil in the refineries that I represent and um, you know now we're still importing it from Venezuela so uh, I'd much rather buy it from Canada than from Venezuela
2: it's interesting because you mentioned one of the big things we talk about in in discussing infrastructure generally roads and other things is the increasing reliance on P3 public-private partnership where the private sector finds the capital they're the ones who bring the technology and the know-how and the project management and government really is responsible for maybe right-of-way but also permitting and the inefficiency of permitting process in so many ways, in so many areas, increasingly a deterrent to that P3 hope that we have that we can get good infrastructure without it all coming down to your fiscal, uh, you know, pocketbook.
1: Well, when you think about our infrastructure—highways, waterways, railroads, uh, pipelines, pipeline pipelines does not take one dime of public money. Now, waterways, believe me, I represent the Port of Houston. We're always looking for Corps of Engineers to. You know, we want to go to 50 foot like everyone else does. So it'll take a partnership between the federal government and our local uh, government. But, uh, but pipelines are not funded. It's privately funded. So if you're going to build a pipeline from X to Y, you're going to have to have enough customers at Y to pay for that pipeline. So you have to have investors for it. And uh, railroads are the same thing. Now, railroads did originally in our country received a lot of property Mm -hmm. uh, so we could get the intercontinental. Right now, railroads are all paid for. The expansion of the railroads are actually from the private sector. So it's not public-private, it's all private. And that's why pipelines, uh, I think, would be a much safer and more efficient and cheaper way to move product. We're not gonna eliminate railroads. They will still be moving crude oil because you, you won't be able to have the customers for the numbers that you may need for certain, uh, uh, certain products. But pipelines, if there's available, we ought to use pipelines because they are a lot safer. And the reason I say they're safer is some of you know, Congress every four, about four or five years reauthorizes pipeline safety. The beauty of it is that we learn as we go and we know we did pipeline safety last Congress. But three years from now, the technology will be better. We will know what we need to do better and we will put that into law. So on a regular basis, we're actually uh, uh, reauthorizing uh, pipeline safety and we're doing it better every four years.
2: I mean, that goes to another point we're gonna to have to replace a lot of our infrastructure certainly in the power lines but also in the pipelines. not because it was bad but because it's old and yeah. and doing that even if we use existing routes is going to require more permitting
1: well uh, permitting uh, but also I'm hoping that no, most of those pipes also have pipe mills <laughs> and we have pipe mills all over the country and I would like to see those newer pipes that are made much better than they were 30 or 40 years ago uh, plus even to make those pipelines that are older uh, last longer. We have a lot more technology now to be able to make sure that we know where those pipelines older pipelines have weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, sometimes we have problems because they're not doing some of the safety that they need to do. But then that's part of our job as a a permitting and the federal government and state governments to make sure that the owners of those pipelines make sure they're safe. Absolutely.
2: Well, I've been dominating the conversation. I want to open it up to all of you and give you a chance to ask the congressman questions. He has some time still. Uh, I can see his staff telling me, yes, some time allowed. Um, So let me turn it over to you. And uh, there we have one of our, our Hudson team members at the back with a microphone. So if you raise your hand, we'll call on you. She'll bring the mic and just tell us who you are and ask your question. Who wants to go first? Anybody brave?
1: Gentleman in the back here. This is not like a town hall meeting. That, uh, <laughs> uh, we don't have deputy sheriffs all over the room. <laughs>
0: uh, Paul Connors, Canadian Embassy. It's good to see you again, Congressman. Thank you for your remarks and uh, congratulations on the bill. I agree with your diagnosis that for whatever reason we seem to be in a standoff between uh, oil and gas production expansion
1: and an environmental community that says no because of concern for the environment. I think that's a false choice. Do you have any thoughts Uh, I agree with your your analysis that that's where we're at now. Do you have any thoughts how that might change and what could be done to get back to sort of a win-win where efforts are being made to drive environmental footprints down at the same time that the industry is expanding? Um, I'm hoping we could get there, but a great example is the increase in use of natural gas for uh, for electricity production. Um, We are reducing our carbon footprint. But I don't think the environmental community recognizes that or, or they don't want to because all over the country they're uh, leading efforts to prohibit fracking, uh, making it much more difficult and like my question is wherever we get a secretary of the Department of Energy or an EPA administrator, if y'all want to shut down this energy renaissance, make it much more difficult to, to frack. Now give us the guidelines, we will obey what it is but we want it to be based on good science and things that can be done to make sure we keep expanding the natural gas production. Everywhere in the world is envious of what we're doing in the United States on shale production. And, but I don't think the environmental community recognizes that they want to because it may not be political to say, hey, we're having some great success from the natural gas because we're having fuel shifting just based on economics. Uh, And like I said, I think Congress could encourage uh, even better, more, if, uh, if we did uh, attack carbon from more of a business point of view. Uh, but, you know, again, cap and trade is not going to be, it wouldn't pass. didn't pass the Senate, definitely very passed the House. So. But there's things we can do legislative-wise that would help us lower our carbon footprint, although we already are doing it. And I'm hoping the environmental community realize it. You know, if you want to have a choice, they're still burning fuel oil in New England. And probably one of the dirtiest fuels you can do. So, you know, we need natural gas up there so they don't have infrastructure, so uh, they'll actually be cleaner in New England. Mm
2: -hmm. Gentleman here.
3: Thank you, Congressman. Uh, My name is Tim Johnson from the Government of Quebec. Just wondering if you had any sort of, I guess this is a two-part question, if you have any sense of a path forward in Congress for this legislation, and if you've had any sort of discussions within the administration. I don't know if you sense any willingness or openness on their part to make any uh, to sort of streamline the permitting process to make it more efficient?
1: Well, I can't complain about Department of Energy now on the permitting for LNG. They have a business-like approach. In fact, the person who uh, our natural gas caucus actually had Mr. Smith who heads that division under uh, DOE. They have a reasonable plan, not as fast as some of us would like, but uh, to issue permits for LNG. We have not had this discussion with the administration. I'm hoping by before the end of next uh, month, we'll pass this bill out of the house. And obviously the Senate will be a whole different ball game. And, uh, but this represents what we think is a solution to the problem um, that we have with waiting five years or more. And there are a lot of other permits in in line or in the queue uh, between Canada and the United States that are being delayed. Leachman, Arizona State University. Uh, I have heard a claim, and I don't know how well it's substantiated, and that is that uh, the oil that would be going down the uh, pipeline uh, is a higher carbon emission when burned than other oils, and that was an objection. Well, it is a a heavier crude and it is harder to refine than it is a lighter sweet. Um, but there are no ex- environmental exceptions. They don't, uh, you know, I have refineries in our district that already come under EPA oversight, and our state agency, and even our local agency. Uh, they don't get a, extra uh, emissions based on their using heavier crude compared to light sweet crude. So that refinery has to uh, meet the standards that we have now, both EPA and also the states on that. So. If it emits more carbon uh, although under new rules we're, we'll end up getting it for new expansions on plants I assume sometime the EPA is going to come out with that like they've done for the uh, new coal plants but um, but it's you know it's something that can be manageable we can control that if you know, once we get the, but we need to have some certainty on what it's going to do and give us some time to be able to capitalize be able to expand uh, uh, those plants that's the other thing there
2: was a um- Something you mentioned in, the, in your remarks about the NEPA process, and that hasn't changed. You're still allowing a NEPA uh, review, or, or, or are you altering that in some way?
1: Well, we have a NEPA review in the bill, and that was one of the last amendments on it. Um, every federal agency that has permitting process, Department of Transportation, uh, under this bill, has the National Environmental Policy uh, Act authority. To invoke, you know, uh, an environmental review, uh, we actually specifically put it in the bill. I didn't really think originally the State Department should do that. I think it ought to be an agency that's permitting that pipeline along other areas because it's hard to find a pipeline, particularly cutting across the United States, that doesn't have some type of a Department of Transportation or a Corps of Engineers requirements because they cross over public waterways, they cross over federal land, um, you know. So. But uh, we actually put it in the bill that there would be a NEPA process that would with the, actually have to cross the border. But my concern is I don't want the State Department deciding what we're doing in continental United States. That's Department of Energy. We only need one agency to do that. State Department ought to worry about the, the border crossing and Department of Energy if it's the interest of the United States. Uh, but right now we're seeing the Department of State actually expanding some of their jurisdiction that, that uh, I don't feel comfortable with. Absolutely. Plus I'm not on foreign affairs. I'm on energy and commerce. <laughs> and we have Department <laughs> of Energy. We don't have the State Department. <laughs> Excellent. Um,
2: other questions, comments? Dan.
3: Uh, good morning, Congressman. Thank you for your, your comments. I have uh I'm Dan Fisk. I'm just here in my capacity as a private citizen interested in, in this issue. Uh, I have two distinct uh questions or two totally separate questions. One is uh, on the follow up on the question about the legislative path forward and kind of what's the Senate strategy, and has the administration issued a statement of administration position? Has the administration actually spoken on the legislation so that's one question yeah, I'm
1: asking Justin, <laughs> a staff member on energy Uh administration hadn't spoken on this, so but you know my job is to get it out of the house and uh and with Fred Upton, the chair of the committee, it's our bill, and like I said, it came out of committee. Um, and it was a bipartisan vote, not as many Democrats as I wish had voted for it, uh, but welcome to oil and gas issues. But, uh, but you know, we'll. I want to get it out of the House, and then we'll work on the Senate. At the same time, we're going to have in the next, this month, uh, an effort on LNG exports that uh, Congressman Gardner, Colorado and then we put an amendment on in committee and and I co-sponsored it yesterday uh, on LNG exports because I think it sets a good um, parameter. Again, I represent a chemical industry. So exports. I don't want to just open the door because uh, we have about 35 billion dollars in potential investment in East Harris County alone for expansion of those plants. I want to make sure we don't raise their prices so those jobs will go to Rotterdam or somewhere else in the world.
3: My second question goes to, uh, if you would elaborate a bit on your comments earlier on pipeline safety. It seems that um, there has been one constituency that's done a very good job of creating the image in the mo- in people's minds that pipelines are going to destroy aquifers, they're going to undermine um, agriculture. I know you've heard all this yeah. before, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that, uh, because being, just so you know, from Oklahoma, I've grown up living on pipelines, <laughs> and uh, our water is as good as anyone else's and every agriculture is yeah. prosperous. So I just think it's important for that to be out there. And let me just add, I hope you're encouraging your companies to actually talk more about that as well and to dismiss some of these myths that
1: well, are- Well, uh, every study I've ever seen, pipelines are the safest way to move a product other than, um, you know, trucks or tank cars. Um, I mean, we're not going to prohibit those, but but pipelines are inherently safer. Now, I can't sit here and say there's not going to be a pipeline accident. Um, you know, that maybe it wasn't maintained or maybe the pressure was not correct. Uh, but it, every study that I've ever seen shows pipelines are inherently safer than any other mode of transportation. Uh, even considering water transportation, so we move a lot of chemicals and, and LNG by barge in the Houston area. So, uh, but, uh, pipelines are safer, but they're not perfect and we see that, um, you know, if there's a pipeline leakage, it can get into the water table. Although most of the folks, you know, I, I see all the battles about the, uh, uh, granting easements for pipelines. Um, I used to own some property in East Texas, and I wanted to put a pipeline across it because I wanted to keep that cleared for my hunting area. <laughs> and now, you don't. the pipeline is going to be buried, so I didn't have to worry about shooting at the pipeline. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but a lot of property owners know they have access to the top of it. You know, after it's, it's finished, they can plant. Now, you can't grow a forest on it because we have requirements to be inspected, uh, but you can actually use that for grazing and things like that. So, and the, and the, and the landowner actually makes money for that. They get, they get paid for the use of that property. So.
2: Well, Congressman, this, this has been great. I think a lot of us have, have been thinking about these issues because of Keystone. Um, We've maybe heard a little bit about the bill, but it's time for all of us, I think, to pay a bit more attention. Uh, And you've done a great job, I think, of catching us up to speed, and we wish you good luck. I know you've got another meeting to go to, so thank you for taking time and coming across town to visit us at Hudson.
1: Oh, thank you. And again, thank you all for asking me. Appreciate it.
2: Absolutely.